0: There is incredible power in stories. Think of a time when you were a kid and you would hear stories of Santa Claus coming to deliver gifts in exchange for good behavior all year. Or maybe a story of a grandparent that motivated you to do more and become more because of the immense sacrifice that a grandparent made. What we found throughout humanity is that there is immense power in stories and the way that humans respond to them. That is the exact philosophy that has led our guest on today's podcast to become one of the most prominent CMOs in the world today. Robin Daniels is the current CMO of Matterport and the former CMO of WeWork with past marketing managerial experiences at companies like Salesforce and LinkedIn. On today's episode of the Trendsetters Media Podcast, our founder, Jake, sits down with Robin Daniels to have an incredible conversation about storytelling, innovation, and the future of work. If you enjoy this conversation, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, and share. We appreciate every single person who takes time to listen to these conversations, and we cannot wait to hear your feedback and your response to this conversation. Thank you again for listening. Now to Jake and Robin.
1: back to another Trendsetters podcast episode of our CMO series. Today, I'm joined by Robin Daniels, the current CMO of Matterport, formerly with Salesforce, LinkedIn, Box, WeWork, and plenty of other firms that you are probably well aware of, yet they're B2B firms. And and so why are we so well aware of these firms? Well, we're going to find out that and plenty more on today's episode. Robin, it's a pleasure to have you on. I appreciate you taking the time.
2: Thank you so much, Jake. I'm glad to be here.
1: Of course. So I I think uh, the the first question is regarding storytelling, and it's it's a common you know verbiage within the advertising and marketing realm, and everyone talks about it. And Everyone talks about telling their story and through content through social. How many of us really understand that though? And and, and I think the really what the question. is, uh, you know, regarding storytelling is is not necessarily why we need to be doing so, because I think we all know elements of why that needs to happen, but where in the pecking order should storytelling be placed? And then how can we actually go about defining and telling that story? Mm-hmm.
2: it's a It's a great question. I think to me, everything is about storytelling. The stories you tell internally, the stories you tell to your partners, the t- stories you tell to your prospects, and certainly the stories you tell, to your customers. And if you ask most business leaders today, um, everyone wants to talk about how do we build a category? How do we build a community around our company and so on? And a lot of that stems from storytelling. What are the stories that you're telling to the community that gets people to be part of your movement? And and here's one thing I think that, that a lot of people miss and a lot of companies miss is the fact that in order to really tell great stories, you have to lead with emotion and then support by facts. I think a lot of companies get it the wrong way around. They say, well, let's lead by facts and then have some emotional message to try to attach to those facts. Yeah. But I think we've proven time and again that that rarely works. People get attracted to something through an emotional connection to something. And a lot of times that emotional connection, I think, especially in the B2B world, is much more strong when it comes from fellow peers, customers, you know, people who are already part of your community. And so storytelling, I think, for, for B2B companies is much more impactful when it comes from the people who are already part of your your story, who are using your products, who believe in what you're doing. And this is what I think a lot of a lot of companies get wrong is they 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 tend to over air on being the fastest with something or the most advanced some some technology and they forget the human element of the storytelling. And I've seen it, I've been part of companies honestly that have done that in the past as well. And the moment we start leaning into more of the human stories, then you start really seeing this exponential effect because not only do, you, do people resonate uh, with it and they connect a lot more to it, but that's also how you build community. And, and the, the the secret really, when it comes to building community and storytelling is, you know, a, lot of, a lot of companies would say, well, what story do we tell to our prospects and our customers and so on? But you know where it all starts? The secret is it all starts with your employees. Yeah. It all starts first with your employees, then your customers, and then your prospects and a lot of you know, the 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 ceos i think that i've spoken to they they take the opposite approach uh, let's get as many prospects into our funnel as possible and then when they're in the funnel let's convert them as quickly as possible and by customers then we'll treat them well and then they think of employees last yeah if you want to create community it's inside out you don't do it outside in because if you have people who believe in your mission and who believe what you're doing they will go the extra mile richard branson a virgin legend in yeah. the industry of course said it well it's like. Everything starts with how you treat your employees, and I firmly believe in that as well. So, and my point around storytelling is that's true for your employees as well. What stories are you telling your employees? How are you getting them to be a part of your mission? To know that everything they do matters and adds up to something that's greater than just the work that they're doing themselves, but it's part of a greater whole that's moving something forward in the industry. That's very powerful.
1: Yes, yeah, certainly. And obviously, that transfers over to then their actual executions. You know, we, we've seen time and time mm-hmm. again that if you actually connect people's day to day, you know, with with a, a much larger passion, you know, they're going to continue to work at that and thus they're going to yield results accordingly. Now, when it comes to telling that story for certain brands, that's a little bit easier than others. And I think, you know, when we think about some of the best examples of that, your mind immediately goes to a brand like Nike, where, the, mm-hmm. They're totally going to be focused on the story. They're not going to be focused on the shoe, the product, and it might be only seen in even, you know, just the actual full shoe might never even be seen in it. And there's just different pieces of it at different times. Yeah. And, and then that transfers over to plenty of other brands that, that are oftentimes top of mind. And then when we look at those brands, what do we see? They're always typically very consumer friendly, consumer product uh-huh. brands that have been around for a while, or at least, you know, found a unique market where it, it, it makes sense. But B two B a little bit more difficult when it comes to marketing yes. advertising there and particularly telling stories of what is oftentimes sales led organizations. How do you have those tiffs with the sales team who only cares about performance and leads and growth, uh, and then you know show them that that the storytelling aspect is so vital. So I'd love to hear from you. What is your approach towards telling the story of those B two B firms where? it's not as it's not as intuitive as it might be for a consumer
2: brand. It's about, I would say, the stories that you, you t- tell to the internal team and how you want to convey the, the mission you're on. If you're trying to be honestly just a transactional brand and just go for the sale, is storytelling as important? Maybe not, because if you have a value proposition that people respond to, you can probably sell the heck out of whatever you're selling. But... Of course, if you're trying to create a super brand that stands the test of time, that people fall in love with, you have to tell stories around that. You have to give people a reason why they should be part of your tribe, part of your community. Because it even proves to this community that even if you're not perfect, even when you fall down and you fail, which you will do eventually, all companies do, that they will stick with you. I mean, I'm a huge believer in Apple, for example, I love their products. But all their products have not been equally great. There have been times when they've come out with shitty products, but I'm part of their tribe and I believe in what they're doing and and, and I'm part of their, their ethos. And it's the same goes for, for B2B brands. You think about Salesforce, where I, where I worked at from 2007 to 2011, just over four years. I think they're one of the companies I look at and have done it the best in the B2B world. Uh, you know, when, they, when they thought about building community, it's always about highlighting their stories of success, meaning the customer stories of success. Like how are they winning? How are they succeeding? How are they becoming a better person because they're using Salesforce? Dreamforce, you might've heard that, one of the biggest conferences in the world at this point in time. People go there, not, not necessarily just because Salesforce has an incredibly advanced platform, but because they're part of a community of people who is bringing their own companies into the future. So if you go to Dreamforce and you're part of Johnson & Johnson, or you're a part of BMW or PNG and g whoever these companies are, you go there because you feel like you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who's bringing your company into the future. You have attached to yourself a value of, I'm a trailblazer. I'm a pioneer. I'm one of the forward thinkers that's helping getting my company into the next decade of growth and advancement in technology and, and, and connectedness to our customers and ecosystem. And Salesforce has done a great job, I think, With a very complex product, their platform is kind of complex, their CRM system is is kind of complex, a lot of features and so on. But it's always telling the stories about we care more about your success than we care about our success. That's what Salesforce says to the community. We care more about your stories than our stories. We care more about how you're benefiting than how we're benefiting. And you have to show that consistently. If you do that consistently, you start creating these super fans in your business who will stick with you. And it's not hard to do in the B2B world. It just takes consistency and it takes time because it doesn't happen overnight. That's the other, I think, myth is so many people want to build a community or a super brand really quickly. Yeah. It takes time. It does just take time, oftentimes years to do that. And for Salesforce, even when I was there, it was it was still in the beginning phases of that. And now you look at it, they have created whole careers, whole ecosystems, whole companies are built just on Salesforce because those people are so proud to be a part of this this family of pioneers who's changing the world. And that's very powerful.
1: Yeah, certainly. I think that's incredible insight when it comes to, you know, telling a story of that that B2B space. And I think similarly, not just B2B, but also, and there's, there's probably a better terminology for this, but also brands that are kind of pioneers in their own way, uh, particularly creating yeah. their own market or just becoming the go-to. And I think when we think about modern day CRM systems, who do we immediately think of Salesforce, typically top of mind, right? Then we think about B2B social media, or or something along those lines, we think of LinkedIn, then we think about coworking, we immediately think about WeWork. And so these these are brands that are carving out their own kind of industries and markets. So I'd be curious to hear from you, how does that kind of change your approach? And how do you think about that in terms of branding those firms and telling those stories in a unique way that positions them to be that that new market leader and such?
2: Yeah, it's a it's 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 a good question. It takes a, a lot of effort and a big team, I think, usually to do it. It's not like a you can do that single-handedly. You have to have smart people around you. And I've been fortunate in my life to have smart people around me. I think um, this is one of those things where you have to have a concerted strategy around how you do it, obviously. And it starts with the story you're telling. This is why we come back to storytelling and brand. And I would say the... The, the product marketing or the brand marketing that you have, you know, it kind of depends on if you're B2B or B2C, but in the B2B world, it's much often more times called uh, product marketing, right? Because yeah. yeah, they're, they're the ones where they originate the message in the B2C world. It's much more around brand marketing and, and so on. And I think, you know, you have to have a, a strong stance on what is you stand for and how you want to communicate that message. And you have to write it down and you have to be clear with everybody in the company about how you communicate that you know, again, internally and externally. And you have to be consistent with it. If you're not consistent with it, then, you know, people will kind of start taking it into their own hands and it starts getting very diluted. You know, with all the companies I've worked for, you've you've had companies that had a very strong point of view. You have to have a point of view because if you don't create one, your customers will put one on you. So you have to have a strong point of view. And then you have to execute and hold people accountable to actually being true to that point of view. Doesn't mean you can't maybe modify slightly at the edges, but I think if everyone goes and t- takes their own interpretation of that, brand, you start diluting the message too much. Um, so I think I think that doesn't really work. So and then once you have that, then you start thinking about well, how do you scale that through all the different channels that you have? That could be through influencers, through experts, through your community, it could be through social, it could be through through other digital channels, but then you start thinking about the scale, but you have to take a step back first and define very clearly what how it is that you want to communicate the values that you stand for. You know, and, and so that means writing down the values, the words you use to describe about yourself, um, and how you want to stay consistent. Which, are, and you have to even go as far as defining things that you won't go into or things you won't touch. You know, Tom Peters is one of my gurus that I love reading his books throughout throughout uh, the ages, and he always wrote about you know sometimes you, you you have to fire your clients. Sometimes you just have to be very clear about what you're saying no to, and I think that's a really key thing. You're being very clear about what you will cover, what you will say, how you will define yourself and your values is equally as important as what you won't do. And I think that's where a lot of people get lost because they start then saying, well, what if you just say this? And you have a sales rep somewhere who goes, oh, how about if you just say it this way? And you have a rogue marketing person down in Australia who goes, well, I'm just going to try this crazy marketing program. And again, if you're early days, I think it's probably more okay to do that. But once you start getting a little bit more established and you start having... A brand, then you have to be really hyper consistent. You know, LinkedIn is an example of a company I've worked for that was hyper consistent with its brand anywhere you went. Yeah. Same with Salesforce, hyper consistent. We work honestly because it was such a hyper growth when I joined, it was a little bit more inconsistent. If you looked at the marketing that was happening in APAC versus uh, EMEA versus Americas, it was kind of a little bit all over the place. And one of the things that we focused heavily on was how do we consistently communicate who we are and what we stand for across all our regions because we don't want people to have a different interpretation of our values or our brand so that was a big project that i worked on in just the time i was there and it, when we started then executing that making holding people accountable and the regions accountable for executing on that vision so i think a lot of it starts in that way and then you get of course into well how are you going to scale it how you're going to turn that into revenue and all those things but i think if you start there then i think you're too focused on constantly tweaking and optimizing the funnel and you keep changing the message and that leads to, I think, you being very inconsistent with that message.
1: Yeah, certainly. And I think that's, uh, you know, you know, advertising and marketing with brands of that nature is is no easy task by any means. Mm-hmm. And what that's going to require is individuals uh, with, you know, the, the skill sets, the traits necessary to do so. And one of the firms you mentioned, LinkedIn in particular, you know, if, if, if our listeners were to go to and look at your LinkedIn right now and just look at the, you know, digital resume per se, I think the far majority of all listeners right now would be, you know, more than stoked if that was what theirs ends up looking like in their career. And so I think it's valuable that we reverse engineer that and, and really work to understand, you know, what are the traits and skill sets, or mindsets, or approaches that younger professionals should be adopting, or adding to their skill set base, or exploring at a young age—that's going to set them up for for future success. Because I think—and and correct me if I'm wrong here—but I think this notion that you can just become a CMO overnight by listening to a few podcasts with CMOS is is probably a little bit far fetched, but. Uh, I think there's there's likely a bridge that we can build, and that's going to be those traits and skill sets that that hopefully we can outline.
2: Yeah, it definitely did not happen overnight for me. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about my background, just because I think it gives some context to, uh, to how I'm going to answer that. So I'm from Copenhagen, Denmark, uh, and I've always been into technology and into marketing. And I think product marketing is a perfect intersection of technology and marketing, because you have to have some technical understanding, as well as uh, a good marketing sense, of course. And so when I was 21, uh, I bought a one-way ticket from Copenhagen to California and I didn't have a job, I didn't have a place to stay. I'd I'd actually never been to California. I didn't know a single person. I just knew in my heart, I always wanted to go and try to make it in Silicon Valley because I was enamored with Silicon Valley. Um, Because at that point in time in 2000, that was the place to be. I think nowadays you have many other places. But that mindset for me of always growth and always taking on an adventure and not really knowing what the outcome will be has always been a a guiding principle in my life. I didn't want to look back on my life when I was 50, 60, 70 years old and say to myself, I had the opportunity, but I was too scared to go for it. I I can't control the outcome. I don't know what's going to happen in a year from now, but I can certainly do my best to influence it. And I can certainly do my best to guide my career and my life towards such a path that I will get to the goal that I've set out for myself. And I had a goal of being in Silicon Valley and being part of the tech revolution. And so this, this notion of no fear and just trying out things is something I've taken with me into marketing as well. I think, you know, people operate at different levels. I think of it as tactical, strategic, and epic. And if you just operate at the tactical level, you're never going to have the courage to take any of the big chances, both in your company or for marketing or in your life. And the moment you step into the epic realm and try to do really big things, it feels uncomfortable. And the reason it feels uncomfortable is because there's very little data to guide you because nobody's done it before. If you just go with tactical things like, oh, I'm gonna do a slightly better version of a podcast. Well, there's been a lot of podcasts. You know, if you just tweak these small things, it's gonna get uh, incrementally better, great. Mm -hmm. But if you're gonna do something that's epic, you by nature have very little data to guide you because nobody's done it before. You're stepping into the realm of the unknown. And at some point in your career, if you want to create a career of joy and satisfaction and hyper growth, you also have to step into that unknown at some point. Take a chance on something. That could be a program. It could be learning a new skill set, joining a new company that you have a good feeling about. Uh, It could be a lot of different things. It's very individual from person to person. So I, that's like the, the guiding principle I've been using. And then when I've gotten into marketing, I thought, you know, I, I, I joined a small company to start. And the reason I think I'm so enamored with small companies is because in a small company, especially when you're young and you're just starting out, you honestly get to be a part of everything, right? Yeah. And, and you get to do a little bit of everything, content marketing, event marketing. You want to do a podcast? Go do a podcast. You want to write a blog post? Go do it. You know, you want to help put out a new program for our customers? Excellent. You can kind of do a little bit of everything because it's always all hands on deck for pretty much anything you're doing, which is really fun. So it's an amazing uh, like, like, breeding ground for just growth and learning, but also requires you to have a, a good boss. You know, I had a boss in my first company I joined in, in, uh, in California in 2000, who was the VP of marketing. And she saw something in me and she just gave me projects that made me thrive. So having a mentor and somebody to guide you is really good. And she said to me, you know, what you're doing and what you would be really good at is product marketing. At that point in time, I was 21. I'm like, I had no idea what product marketing was all about. Yeah. And so I started leaning into that. And she kind of gave me the, the path into where I got today because product marketing was my path. And I think there are four paths really in marketing. Product marketing is is oftentimes one that's very common in, in the B2B world where you'll focus on storytelling, positioning, messaging, sales enablement, competitive analysis, launching products, all kinds of things. You're, you're very customer focused, so you get to – hone your communication skills because you're spending a lot of time speaking at conferences with analysts and events and so on. So it's a, it's a great skill set. So product marketing is one. Number two is you can also go the route of more performance marketing. Like if you're highly analytical and you just love thinking about how do you scale the business as quickly as possible, as possible, as efficiently as possible, performance marketing is great because you can constantly tweak things and put out new programs to test and optimize for the performance of the business. Really fun. Um, Then there's the third one, which is around really brand and design and that whole ethos of how do you create a a brand that people fall in love with, both with the look and feel, but also the story around that brand and and the values that you have and so on. And how do you communicate that in creative, interesting ways? It's a really great skill set that I I honestly wish I had more of. I I feel like I understand brand well and I, I love brand. It's one of my favorite disciplines, but it's not like I can sit down and do beautiful sketches or drawings or visual arts or anything like that. And then the fourth one is really come around communications and media. Like you see, that's kind of the fourth discipline within marketing. Uh, You know, the CMO over at LinkedIn, for example, came up through that discipline. It's not as often, but you see it happening because if you understand how to communicate a message at scale with consistency, that's also a hyper-powerful skill to have. Mm -hmm. And I think as a modern CMO, if you want to be a CMO, it doesn't mean you have to master all of those four disciplines. I think it's nearly impossible, honestly, to do so, but you have to understand them all. Like I'm not a master in performance marketing. There are better people out there than that. But I understand enough of it so I can go and have build a great strategy with my head of performance marketing. And we can figure out what to do and what to try and what to test and so on. And so my point here is I think there's really kind of four paths you can take. And when you're in a startup, you get to kind of try all those four things because you're part of everything. You might not be owning all of them, but you get to try them all. If you join a bigger company, the benefit there is you get to learn from obviously companies who have mastered it, who have done really well, who've proven a formula that works, that scales really well, it's efficient. They probably have playbooks for everything. There's a lot of learning in that, but you oftentimes get more put into a box and I, there's nothing wrong with that, but your your scope is just not as wide. So mm-hmm. it really depends, do you like to dive really deep into something and go that route, or do you want to like, try to really figure out what your route is because you don't know yet? I don't know, when I first started, I didn't know which route I was going to take and I learned over time product marketing was the one for me, but it's not the one for everyone.
1: Yeah, certainly. And, and above all else, you can always join an agency and do all of the above and plenty <laughs> of uh, multiple brands. There's our plug right there. Go apply. There you uh, go. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think that's, uh, as always, you know, a, you know, incredible insight into uh, those different th- those different factions per day um, of, you know, CMOs. And I think it's vital that you have, An understanding of all those different pieces. Um, You don't have to obviously be the best at them, and oftentimes you might not be able to be, you know, be the master of of all of those. But uh, it is important that you at least have enough of an understanding to at least lead to understand, and then most importantly, understand how all of those, you know, fit together. Because the reality is, you know, we could tell the best, you know, we could do the best creative in the world if we don't have the right data behind it and targeting and such, then it's going to fall short. And if we don't have the right you know, product to actually convert and ultimately uh, maintain subscriptions. And that's going to fall short as well. So it it just takes a, uh, as always, the the best, the best way to do things is with collaboration. I think that's, that's no different in the marketing realm. And as we think about collaboration, obviously, you know, some of your your past, you know, particularly with WeWork kind of revolutionizing uh, that co-working space and collaboration potential there you know, definitely an innovative firm. I think a lot of the firms you've been with have definitely been ahead of the curve as well. But when you look to the future, when you look, um, you know, out into the horizon, what are some, you know, whether it's technologies or industries or markets that are really piquing your interest right now, or, or things that you're questioning, maybe it's consumer behaviors, maybe it's markets, technologies, so on. I'll, 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 I'll kind of let you take that and I'll, I'll weigh in as well. But, uh, Yeah, I think I'm wildly curious to hear about, you know, what's next? What does the next decade look like?
2: That is a really big question. Uh, So (laughs) so, um, it's been so interesting that I joined a new company, Matterport, just about a month and a half ago. I joined it all during the pandemic. You know, I've never met anybody on my team, the marketing team, once in person. We've only met through Zoom, which has been uh, quite the experience. I met a few people on the executive team because I started meeting with the company back in January, but not everyone. So it's been an interesting onboarding experience. And one of the reasons I, I ended up choosing this company to join uh, and why I was so excited by it, because I think it, I, I was looking at it through the lens of what is becoming essential and what is becoming a nice to have. And I think there's a lot of companies out there that are doing great things. They're growing fast, or at least they were before the pandemic. Uh, they were growing fast and they were doing really innovative things. But in the grand scheme of things, you could argue, is it essential or not? Yeah. Is, it, is it really needed what would happen if this went away and i started taking a little bit uh, sharper focus on through that lens and I, I looked at something like matterport which i joined and said you know, everyone is going to want to digitize the built world and that's really what the vision of what we're trying to do we're a small company in, in the grand scheme of things about 200 people um but we are the standard when it comes to digitizing the built world like google street view is for inside right so Every time you want to do a virtual house tour, it's kind of and it's driven by Matterport. If you wanna be able to look into a museum or a gallery and so on, you know, Matterport, but we're only getting started. We have billions and billions of square feet already under under that have been digitized. But now with the release of Matterport for iPhone, which is a free version, we just released this on May the fourth, suddenly you any we we've unlocked the possibility for billions of people around the world to digitize their space. And, you know, I've been sharing my space, my office, and you can kind of take a walkthrough and all you need is a phone and a free account on our website to get started. And the reason I look at at, 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 looked at Matterport as something essential is because I think every company will want to digitize their space. You know, think about even a company that's not selling a physical product. If you're Salesforce, you want to digitize your space because you can show off your office and your culture for new recruits you wanna hire in. You know, Microsoft, for example, is one of our customers who've done exactly that. They've, they've digitized a lot of their campus and their recruitment space to do that. Museums, galleries, cafes, you, you name it. Um, so, so it's it's becoming kind of the, the standard. And when I look at a lot of companies out there, I think that the lens is gonna be, are these companies going to be essential? So the question you asked, like which, which technologies am I excited by? I think we're just at the dawn of of really figuring out collaboration. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and really like uh, I would say communication where we're not in the same room. Like you and I are chatting through digital communication. We're not in the same yeah. room right now. And I think it works really well when you have a one-on-one. It works really well if I'm communicating a message to my team. And sometimes for smaller team meetings, it works well. It doesn't work well yet. I have, have I haven't seen it work well yet for really creative problem solving. If we're gonna be in the same room and try to whiteboard something and have just free flowing ideas, because the audio doesn't really allow it for that because you can't really talk over each other, which there's a lot of energy and power in when that you happen to have that. Or when you're trying to solve really gnarly problems together and you're kind of in a flow, doing that through a, a Zoom meeting or a Google Hangout, it's virtually impossible. I just haven't seen it happen yet uh, yeah. in any of the companies I've worked for. But if somebody solves that, and they will probably in the next couple of years, because there's a lot of energy being put into it now with people working everywhere. Yeah, I think that's going to be just a massive, massive business, probably a, a mix of virtual technology, communication, collaboration. It's got to be a mix of all of it. But I think then you unlock the potential of really working remotely. I already have seen, you know, I haven't met my team. I haven't been in an office. We're already being very effective, but you do miss a little bit of the human communication. Sometimes you do miss a little bit of the humanity Getting to know people—it's been odd for me, you know, joining a new company. And a lot of times, when you join something new, the first month or two, of course, you're you're making progress on some plans, but a lot of it's getting to know your team, yeah, you know the, your your peers, your boss, you know, and so and all of that for me has just gone out the window. And it's not to say we, we haven't tried and we're making it work, of course, because it's working fine. I still I still think digital communication has a long way to go to making that even better. So I'm very excited about where that will go because I'm a big believer in technology. Um, I think another area uh, that's going to be really interesting is also what I'm seeing around just the notion of, uh, of food in the world yeah. and how we're creating more sustainability. You know, was, There's a company in, in Denmark that I'm really excited by called Simple Feast, and they're kind of a vegan uh, food delivery company, but they don't just deliver food. They make it, they scale it. They put it on little micro kitchens to get people to actually get the food delivered uh, at a very low cost which I think is just an awesome way of thinking about, well, how do you create a much more sustainable world that's free of waste and free of, of excess and creates a healthier uh, life for everybody? I think everybody's becoming more aware and more conscious. And it's not to say I'm vegan, uh, but I'd like to be more healthy in how yeah. I consume yeah. food. And, and, you know, and I think people are just becoming more conscious. And I think that's going to be a, a huge revolution, not just for individuals, but also for companies and for the, 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 you know, When you think about, it, well, how do I give my employees and my the people who work for me a great experience and, again, love internally as a community? Well, it's about the benefits that we give them. If you can start doing that through the food that you offer or through the benefits and services, I think it's going be, to be just massive. Um, so those are just some of the, the things that I, I would say I'm excited about on the, the more, I would say, business side of things.
1: Yeah, there's plenty to be excited about, and uh, that could probably be its own podcast. Episode and I, if you let me talk too, that would be not a good thing for our listeners here. But we can talk <laughs> about quite a bit. But yeah, I think those two in particular. I think uh, you know it's incredible the capabilities that Zoom has. But as we think about you know augmented reality and ultimately virtual reality, likely something of that nature goes away. I think uh, something I mentioned with the with our team here is always osmosis, like just the natural mm-hmm. fusion of people and things, and you know like you know, someone's spilling coffee, and then it sparks this conversation and idea, you just can't replace those. And it's hard to do so digitally. Obviously, we make do when we can, but I think it's valuable uh, that we continue to push for those conversations. So I really don't see, you know, I see remote work definitely playing a large part. Now, are we going to be all of a sudden 100% remote as soon as the virus is, you know, kind of under control? Probably not. I think, you know, everyone's gonna be returning and a lot of us here in the Midwest actually are. So, yeah, I think that yeah, that's incredible insight into. The- but
2: I'll tell you I'll tell you even yeah. even at WeWork I don't know if you you've been in one of the spaces Yeah. But, but but even those spaces I don't know if many people know this are designed to foster a culture of collision. So you're running into people in the hallways in the kitchens the micro kitchens and stuff because the whole purpose is it sparks these I would say uh, just beautiful conversations that happen between people when you least expect it. Well, that's between people, you know. Or even between people you don't know, sometimes you'll run into somebody in the micro kitchen and be like, hey, strike up a conversation and it'll foster a relationship. Hey, you know, we need an accountant, for example, and you, you're an accountant, you should come uh, help us out or can you, I, I need to actually get some new product produced in Asia, can you help me figure that out? Yeah, I've got some friends, you know, so we just see that when I was "Wait," we saw these just magical connections happen through the power of being in a space that fosters collaboration. And that's what's hard, I think, to replicate over digital communication so far.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think WeWork's an incredible example of that. My uh, my cousin's actually the, the community manager for the two one of the two Kansas City locations here. So I can I can I, uh, I can provide you know a testament to that. We've actually landed a client from an intro made grabbing cold brew coffee at one of the local we WeWorks. So thank you to Claire Inman and uh, the WeWork team for everything you do. And uh, yeah, I think that's a collision, like, like you said, and and I I think to wrap things up, I think you know, concluding, we talked a lot about the aspect of storytelling, the differences between B2B and B2C and how we can provide more of a consumer lens approach to the B2B market. And then I think at a personal level, too, for for marketers, advertisers, business, you know, future entrepreneurs and such, um, you know, having that growth mindset and, and not being scared and, and continuing to take risks, particularly in this time, even, you know, even in times of, uh, T- times of doubt but particularly when you are you know at a young age as as the majority of our listeners are here now is the time to be taking those risks and i think it's not just risks in a sense of what of you know going to Lollapalooza and taking a whole bunch of drugs or you know jumping off a cliff at, at, at a lake i think it's also career risks and life risks, of course and, and actual things where where you you put things you know up there on the edge
2: and, <laughs> that's right
1: yeah we just need to you know provide that that uh that, that then that. You, you,
2: most people fail i've failed i've been laid off a few times i've joined companies that didn't go anywhere but i have no regrets about any of it because at least i can look back and say i tried i put my hat in the ring and i tried and that counts for something and i've learned just as much if not more from some of those failures and that's okay too and so you're right it's not like a dumb risk it's like you're taking risk with your heart because something yeah. you believe in and doesn't always work out and that's okay too it works out in other ways. It works out in your growth and your learning and your happiness. So it's all it all works out in the end.
1: Of course. Well, everyone, please be sure to go check out Matterport yourself. Uh, show us your space and tell you what, let's do this. Go show us your space. Screenshot your, you being in there. I need to see what that's going to look like. Screenshot it. Post it your Instagram story. Tag me at JakeXBajorseth and tag at Trendsetters Media. And Will Venmo, one of you... Uh, So you can go spend on your next big risk that you can take to potentially fail and learn or maybe you succeed. But that's your, your Kickstarter money right there. Robin, I appreciate you for joining me on the podcast and I will see you all next week.